Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Today I want to talk about the subject, why do we contemplate body feelings and mind in particular? So far in this back roads tour of the Satipatthana Sutta, We've discussed the role of the sutta as a practice tutorial. We've discussed its fourfold division of the exercises into body, feelings, mind, and dhammas. We've discussed the particular role of dhamma investigation. We've discussed the satipatthana method that controls attention and engagement in the task at hand. We've discussed the threefold method of analysis in terms of internal, external, and both internal and external. And we've discussed the integration of this fundamental practice with samadhi. We've seen that the purpose of this practice is the development of right view, which leads to knowledge and vision of things as they are, taking us close to awakening. The various exercises take particular Dhamma teachings and subject them to verification in our own experience. However, although each exercise of the fourth Satipatthana takes up a Dhamma teaching specifically for experiential investigation and internalization, it is notable that each of the exercises of the first three Satipatthanas makes little reference to Dhamma. This is the main topic of today's talk, and with this I will draw some general conclusions and bring this tour of the Satipatthana Sutta to a close. Here is how I suggest that we interpret this apparent difference between the first three Satipatthanas and the fourth with regard to the Dhamma under investigation. First, a significant Dhamma teaching for each exercise is found in the refrain that follows the exercise and is therefore common to all exercises. It is the teaching of the three characteristics, tilakada, of non-self-impermanence and suffering. Second, each of the exercises themselves represents a different experiential basis from which to examine this hugely important Dhamma teaching, especially non-self. And thirdly, the first three categories of exercises, body, feelings, and mind, are the three facets of an ill-conceived self, the three aspects of experience that the untutored worldling presumes to bear evidence for self. Body, feelings, and mind have in common that each is a potential facet of the self. If there were only two Satipatthanas under discussion, body and mind, this would make immediate sense to all. 
However, feeling as a facet of the self is not immediately clear. Moreover, some would want to supplement body and mind with experience. I'm referring to what we experience rather than the mental process of experiencing itself. A personal perspective of a world generally beyond body and mind, which presumably will come to an end when body and mind come to an end. There's a strange fantasy movie, Being John Malkovich, in which John Malkovich plays himself. In this movie, a small room is discovered that once one enters it, one slides down a kind of chute headfirst and seems to get lodged with your body and mind intact at the bottom, but then experience for a time what John Malkovich is experiencing at some other location, wherever he is. Effectively, it is one's continuum of experience that gets swapped out, and apparently this constitutes being John Malkovich. It's been said about the world of personal experience. In this fathom-long living body, along with its perceptions and thoughts, lies the world, the arising of the world, and the cessation of the world. This gives us body, mind, and experience as aspects of self. Could feelings inexplicitly listed in the facets of self, and one's continuum of experience inexplicitly not listed be the same thing? In fact, Vedana, the word for feelings, is a gerund of the verb Vedati, which means sense, know, or experience, and hence literally means experiencing. Although the examples repeated in the Pali formulas seem to be limited to immediate, simple valuations of interest or mattering, this factor is, in fact, the guiding principle behind the unfolding of the entire world of experience. For the Buddha, all things come together in feelings. Its causal influence is described as follows. With contact as condition, there is feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. With what one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a man. Through perception and proliferation of thought, we fabricate our world of experience. This role of feelings as a facet of self is, in fact, corroborated in the following, which focuses on whether feelings are the self and contrasts this with the other two expected options. In what ways, Ananda, do people regard the self? They equate the self with feeling. Feeling is myself. Or, feeling is not myself. Myself is impercipient. Or, feeling is not myself, but myself 
is not impercipient, it is of the nature to feel. The first option is that self is simply equivalent to feeling. The second is that the self is equivalent to body, the facet which cannot perceive. The third is that the self is equivalent to mind, the facet that can perceive, but of which feeling is only a manifestation. This gives us the first three satipatthanas, in any case, body, feelings, and mind, as reflecting these facets of self. The critically important teaching of non-self is somewhat unique among the dhammas and requires a distinct method of analysis, for we cannot directly verify a negative in experience. Each of the exercises under these categories considers some array of observable evidence that might be taken to support the presumption that body, feelings, or mind has some kind of substantial fixed existence as a facet of self. In each case, the evidence fails to support the presumption, effectively deconstructing the self. For instance, again, again bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews this same body, however it is placed, however disposed by way of elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at the crossroads with it cut up into pieces, so too a bhikkhu reviews this same body by way of elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. This dichotomy of evidence and presumption makes sense of the expression body in body and so on throughout the text and of internal and external in the refrain. The internal body is the bodily evidence in this case, the observable elements or pieces of a cow, and the external body is the body presumed to exist as a substantial fixed thing that is equated with self. Settling into the analysis of the internal body, particularly in samadhi, convinces us that it in no way entails the existence of the external body as a whole. Each individual exercise is thereby an attempt to find the self in experience through a kind of thought experiment, and together the many exercises are a sampling of the conceivable ways in which we might verify the self. As each exercise fails to find what we're looking for, the case for the presumption of a substantial self falls apart. In conclusion, each of the exercises under these three headings serves to deconstruct the self by failing to find convincing evidence to support the presumption of a substantial self in any of the self's three potential facets, 
the strategy for performing this analysis is fully explained in the refrain. The refrain implements the primary mode of dhammic analysis exhibited in the Satipatthana Sutta for the body feelings and mind exercises based on the foundational teaching of the three characteristics, tilakkana, and of non-self-impermanence and suffering. Virtually, the sole function of the first three satipatthanas is to deconstruct the self in its three facets of body, feelings, and mind in terms of this very critical teaching. When we contemplate repeatedly and bring this contemplation into samadhi, we go beyond an intellectual argument for the non-existence of the self to the actual experience of the non-existence of the self. The concerns of the refrain break down as follows, here again with respect to body. One, in this way he abides contemplating body and body internally, or he abides contemplating body and body externally, or he abides contemplating body and body, both internally and externally. Two, he abides contemplating in body its nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in body its nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in body its nature of both arising and vanishing. Three, recollection that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and proficiency. Four, and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating body in body. Instruction one about internally and externally frames the analysis in terms of non-self distinguishing Internal and external analysis. Internal analysis concerns the evidence for a body. The body is in the other body, that is, observables and visualizables like bodily actions, breath, posture, stages of decomposition. External analysis is simply to bring the presumably existent body the body that the other body is in, briefly into awareness, which will be challenging for one who has been sitting with the internal body for a while, without getting caught up in narration, which will bring the external body almost irrevocably back to mind. Both internal and external analysis is the attempt to bring both bodies to mind simultaneously to assess congruence. This turns out to be virtually impossible, which is the point of the exercise. The evidence falls short of the presumption. Instruction 2 about arising and vanishing further refines internal analysis in terms of impermanence, which is the primary source of incongruity between the evidence and the presumption since evidence of impermanence fails to support a presumption of permanence. 
Instruction three about there being a body, after all, recognizes the usefulness of concepts like body feelings and mind and self, as long as we acknowledge their emptiness, after all. The text itself could not exist without such references. Finally, four, about not clinging, is the consequence of abandoning the presumption of the existence of a substantial self, the avoidance of suffering through the abandoning of clinging. A detailed discussion of primary analysis is provided in my related paper, Primary Dhammic Analysis in Satipatthana, and in an upcoming series of podcast talks. Conclusion This backroads tour of the Satipatthana Sutta recognizes it as a practice tutorial for developing and internalizing right view. It presents a series of exercises with guidelines that are largely specialized in developing understanding through contemplation of non-self impermanence and the roots of suffering in descending order of importance, but also extends the guidelines to the contemplation of Dhamma across the board in terms of lived experience. If we look at Satipatthana as the organizing principles guiding contemplative practice, we also see how it involves the various factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. I've taken care to separate the functions of right proficiency from the functions of Satipatthana practice, differentiating the Satipatthana method from the Satipatthana practice. The bhavana factors of effort, proficiency, and samadhi are supports available in all wisdom and ethical practices, but Satipatthana practice is perhaps unique in making the most full and critical use of the bhavana practices of right proficiency to bring dhamma into full engagement with practice and right samadhi for wrapping attention around the primary theme and fine-tuning analysis into silent and preconceptual modes of cognition. This concludes our Backroads tour of the Satipatthana Sutta. Next week, I plan to begin another series on the umbrella of rethinking the Satipatthana by talking about the contemplation of Dhamma in the Satipatthana exercises, largely an extension of what I've talked about today. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.